podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi there, and welcome to Scout the Game Week. Scout the Game Week is Fantasy Football Scout's weekly podcast, brought to you by the Scout Network. In each episode, we will look back at the game week we have just played to assess what we can learn to help us in the next round of fixtures. I'm Ryan from Football Chat Box. Let's scout the game week. It's the beginning of a new season and new information to dissect. To discuss the key facts of game week one and looking ahead to game week two, I'm joined by FPL teacher Lucien. How are you doing, mate? Absolutely ambivalent is the right word to use, really, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm basically appreciating the opportunities that I get with various friends such mm-hmm. as yourself and yeah that helps me get over the fact that i got an absolutely horrendous score <laughs> you know mm. yeah you appreciate the things that come your way when you know that fpl is not the center of your attention fair enough but let's move all right let's move then um okay so let's start with the opening fixture of game week one uh so we saw a different city backline that started the fixture Pep later came out and said that Diaz was out because of a concussion protocol and Stones was out because of knock during training and that he may be fit for Newcastle. He didn't really confirm, so we'll have to wait and see on press conference for that, but he said maybe. So if you had Stones in your team, what would you be looking to do ahead of Newcastle? Right, and it's such a shame that this conference, well, this, this meeting came a day too late because Chilwell is 5.6 now. Six, yes. Oh, yeah, if you've missed that boat, I, well, it, it really comes down to whether you'd be willing to take a negative four to improve someone else of your team. Like, I've given various types of advice, mm-hmm. uh, depending on whether they feel like they need to take the negative four or whether they should just hold water and, you know, let, let the West Ham game go because West Ham is a different kettle of fish compared mm. to Liverpool. Mm. So I think even if Chilwell had a high line against West Ham, he'd still have to rely on something solid like corner duties to actually mm. make the difference. So, you know, um, I think replacing Stones for Chilwell aside, if you have that 0.5 million in the bank, yeah, it's just a matter of sitting and waiting because I think later on you address some other players that are doubts for the weekend and... You know, if you only have one fire to put out, you just let it be. Use the two free transfers next week. If you have multiple fires, then yeah, go ahead. You know, do your thing. Yeah, fair enough. I would agree with that. Um, Then, okay, now that's the Stones question out. And let's talk about the City versus Burnley game. Um, What are your takeaways from that game? Oh, City Burnley. You know, I was expecting so much because like, you know, uh, for, for FBI IQ, right? I presented this question, would the student replicate the teacher or would he modify the teacher's philosophy and do it better? And the answer was neither because, uh, you know, we were so used to Man City doing this thing where one winger or one wing creates for another, right? Mm. They use their width, they use their half spaces and somehow they just get big chances in good areas. Company did not do that exactly. In fact, he actually replicated the defensive system, but he went all out on his own for an attack and he completely refreshed he did not rely on conventional wingers and he went with just three forwards plain and simple for the hustle and i think in that sense well i don't think many people would have thought about that dilemma in the first place so you know you just look at bernie as like you're looking up who's amduni kolyosho lao foster they were nowhere near that you know the starting lineup last season and that is refreshing but mm. really what is truly refreshing and dangerous potentially for fpl is that city unlike last season you know when they tend to win 6-3 4-0 nil against everton every year <laughs> um yeah right now it's kind of like we'll take the lead yeah and then we'll see how it goes not to say that they're not over committing it's more of how City, right? I read in some articles that City are now like, you know, trying to push ahead with the next step of their innovation. And I've seen this in five aside, but I never thought they'd try to do this in real life. City officially are probably the only team in Europe and the world right now to implement what we call a 4-2-5 formation. I love that term so much because do you notice what's wrong with those numbers? 4-2-5. The numbers are, they don't even add up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because Edison is a centre-back. Sometimes yeah, he plays so far ahead of his centre-back colleagues because they spread wide, yeah. they actually operate as a back four and they don't have a goalkeeper. With Edison passing range, that's fantastic. But that is new. That is novel. That pushes his defence and his midfielders further out. 
And I'm looking forward to see how effective that is because, you know, for the first few seasons, we are getting accustomed to how Edison can lose the ball if he makes passes into certain areas. Mm. But when he's in line with the centre-backs and the strikers can't touch him because it's three forwards against four defenders, like, what do you do, right, with this new 4-2-5 formation? And it's mm. not as if somebody can just copy that formation yeah, with yeah, a goalkeeper yeah. of the same ilk. So, yeah, to that, I am extremely glad and... Really, I think the takeaway here would be to constantly preach out Julian Alvarez, Julian Alvarez, Julian Alvarez. <laughs> so their chance creation process, right? Yeah, there you go. I, I literally brought the house down there with my camera. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, you can preach about how complex and how well-developed cities attacking tactics mm. are. But really, in the end, you're just wondering to yourself, right? If KDB were to bomb down the right half space, who's waiting in the box? Last season, it was Harlan and Jack Grealish. Mm. Now, it's Harlan and Julian Alvarez. Mm. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. The Now, obviously, KDB is out. And probably, don't know how long for. Uh, possibly looking at this long injury because he's re-pulled um, his hamstring. Um, so, that could be a problem. Now, do we see... Now, obviously, Julian Alvarez played in that like number 10 or you could see just behind the striker kind of role. Do we expect him to continue to play that role or are we like probably clutching at straws here because Pep is Pep and he's just going to play whoever he wants to play based on the opposition? Well, I think where he plays exactly is not important. Hmm. It's more of a situation. Like, where do you expect him to be when mm. the ball is at the back? Where do you expect him to be when the ball is cycling through midfield? Especially since KDB's successor, Kovacic, right? Mm. He doesn't bomb forward. No. You know? So, you're not asking yourself the question, who plays Gundogan roles this season? You're asking yourself, really, how are City going to beat opponents, you know? Um, and so far, the three moving pieces are Foden mm. and Bernardo Silva in some sense, mm. but it's still about releasing the wing backs and yeah, just playing Julian Alvarez or Harlan in there. Like mm. you just have to be aware that they are the ones waiting for chances. That's all we care about. FPL is a simple game, especially yep. if it's Man City. Fair enough. Uh, Foden, I guess if you had Foden, would you keep him? Um. Obviously, well, this is record- I should mention that this has been recorded before the Super Cup game that's about to be played and anything can happen in that game in terms of injuries. So I'll just mention that for listeners. It's, I think it's more of the opportunity cost. If mm. you sell Foden, what do you get? Like, if you're getting someone urgent, like Bukai Osaka, okay, yeah. sure. But if you're looking at someone like Madison, mm, tough. Yeah. Very tough. So, you know, it's more of like, if you're, like, you know, again, Play FPL as simple as possible in the yeah. opening stages. If you're replacing a liability for an asset, fantastic. Yeah. But if you're replacing an asset for an asset, you know, you, know, you trust your gut there. Yeah. If you're doing it for minus four, it's a no-brainer. Don't do it. Yeah, yeah. that's what I, I generally like to say. Like, If you have good players and they're playing decent, decent or good fixtures, there's no reason to change them. Just keep them. Uh, and also, you pick them for a reason. It's just one game week so far. Don't go ripping up your team just for one based off one game week's results as well. Um, all right, cool. So that's Manchester City. Uh, let's move to Arsenal. Uh, the Arsenal versus Forest game. Again, another game that's a popular player getting benched. And based on Arteta's comments, it seems like he's also going to tailor his teams according to who they are facing. And with more depth now in the squad, I should I wrote this when they, they had depth, but now it's a question mark. Uh, but still, more depth in the squad in defense and attack. Should we expect a bit more rotation to this squad? And also, having said that, uh, what do you think about Gabriel Benchin? And similar to Stone's question, what would you do if you had Gabriel in your team? Well, I think the first question really to ask is, yeah. do you, well, who's your cover? If your cover is something like Baldock, mm. right, as your first sub, he's playing Crystal Palace at home. And that's great. Mm. If your first cover is um, Luton's Kabore, like me, <laughs> well then, you know, you better start shopping. Uh, yeah, every, you know, this is the part of the season where we know something unforeseen will happen. So, if you're replacing somebody like Gabriel, you're looking at a budget of 5 million. Mm. Who in the world right now is worth that 5 million? A Spurs defender? I, I just don't see anyone that immediately screams buy besides perhaps 
Rico Henry against Fulham, but even mm. that's a stretch. So, <laughs> yeah, like unless you do Gabriel de Saliba, and if you did it successfully, well done. Um, yeah, just hold it steady and play Baldock. I mean, why not, right? Mm. I mean, that's quite exciting, anyways. You know, you're playing a Sheffield United wing back for a good fixture. Mm. Yeah, I also won't mind actually starting Gabriel potentially. Um, I just came off like my podcast with uh, my co- co-host is an Arsenal fan, um, and we were discussing about like how Gabriel could potentially start. Depends on um, because now Timber's injury can be a long one, and now that raises the question whether Tommy Asu comes into that Arsenal team and takes a Timber spot, or do we see a shuffle again and Gabriel comes back into that um, Arsenal backline? Obviously, we don't know, but I don't mind taking the slight risk uh, of starting Gabriel because Crystal Palace last season weren't really good in set pieces as well. Um, so wondering whether it's I don't mind it trying to see because if you like you said right your option is what your alternative is Baldock. How much are you really losing in terms of potentially starting Gabriel? Not too much, I would assume, if Gabriel doesn't start and just comes off the bench. Yeah, hard to say. I mean, I I don't think you'd be criticized for starting Gabriel mm. because, as weird as it sounds, right? Um, a defender coming on in the final minutes of the game, um, especially when it's been such a reliable starter such as Gabriel, mm. right? It either indicates that he is returning from injury and mm. he's likely to start the next game, you know, just giving him some minutes, mm. or he's just playing a sub and that's very very unlikely in the first place so yeah i mean defenders who are starters like that right they should be either 90 minutes or zero Mm. so you know you ask yourself the question why did they get single digit minutes in the first place so it just probably hints that he's coming back and he'll be ready next game yeah all right um what were your thoughts on this game? And also based on what we saw from Forrest, do you think uh, Turner did enough to warrant a possible start in our squads for game week two? Well then, let's look at Turner under the microscope, shall we? Mm-hmm. So, comes down to how you want to judge Turner's output, right? I mean, you're, you're buying a Nottingham Forest goalkeeper. So, the question is, are you trusting Turner for the clean sheets, the saves, or really his ability? Because if you're looking at clean sheets, right, then you're not even looking at fixture. You're just going like, you know, Chef, uh, Nottingham Forest have good fixtures at home. Okay, fine. Close eye. Turner's worth it. Mm. Now, if you're looking at saves, uh, let's talk about saves. Because uh, what I've done is that I've looked at the post-shot XG, mm-hmm. right? The XG that depends on which part of the frame of the goal that um, the ball is about to hit after it's released from the player's foot. And here we go. Um, first things first. 0.14 from Rice. 0.16 from Tomiyasu. 0.44 from Rice. 0.86 from Declan Rice. 0.06 from Bukayo Saka. So, as much as I'd like to say that he made some a good combination of easy saves and some high-quality saves, you'd still argue that they're not in the hands of the best finisher. No. Yeah, so, but still, he did a job. He did a job. And I think that's kind of what we expect him to do against, you know, that sort of caliber of opposition anyway, right? We're not going to be fielding Turner against bad opposition. I mean, mm-hmm. sorry, in a bad fixture. So, yeah, I think as it stands, like, at least we know he's not a ward or an Iverson mm-hmm. that has, like, below par ability. Yeah. And, yeah, so long as you aren't up against a player in a team that's on fire, such as perhaps Jared Bowen, then, you know, you should be on for a clean sheet, especially at home. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And also, it depends on who your alternatives are as well. I think a lot of people, their alternatives are looking like potentially Onana, maybe Pickford, uh, Johnston. So all of these keepers maybe not facing the best of oppositions as well in terms of clean sheet. Um... Then I guess I was asked a question as well in terms of like Edison versus Turner. Um, and that's a bit more of a harder one to discuss, I guess, because City versus Newcastle. Okay, so so I think what we have to understand as FPL players is that clean mm. sheets are not 
a probabilistic event. As no. much as we like to rely on clean sheet odds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, saying that, like, if I were to repeat this match, I have a 45% chance of keeping, keeping a clean sheet. That, that's, that makes absolutely no sense because mm. clean sheets are not a one-off event. They're mm. not like goals or odds where all you need is like in that moment, right? Across 90 minutes, you just like need that one moment yeah. and then you sum it up with a probability. But clean sheets are the other way around. So it's kind of like you're looking at the odds of a goal being scored mm. and then you take 100% and you minus those odds. That's how you get a 40%. Mm. And that's, that's terrible because, you know, you're not looking at the probability of one player scoring. You're looking at a probability of multiple players scoring and then you take 100% and then you minus yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So clean sheet odds are very deceiving. They are a lot higher than what we expect them mm. to be. Um, so I do feel that instead of trying to rely on odds, you'd yeah. actually be looking at the anatomy of a clean sheet. So this is something that I've preached in a couple of places. And the question comes down to, do you feel that a clean sheet comes about when a team completely dominates a match like City, right? And they just basically don't let their opponents breathe. Or do you like the kind of clean sheet where you take a 1-0 lead and you defend, you know, Helm's Deep style and you, you take a lot of, you cop a lot of pot shots and mm. yeah, you rely on a couple of big key saves or blocks or yeah, that, that kind of gung-ho, you know, style. I mean, that still happens in this league. So I quite like that. <laughs> or you're looking for like more dodgy clean sheets where you concede a lot of big chances, right? Mm. But you like get away with it, mm. you know? I, I think, you know, especially with uh, teams like Pickfords, right? Everton, you know that they're going to concede big chances. Yeah. And they would be doing absolutely nothing, right? Mm. But, you know, you're, you're like banking on the f- potential factor that opponents just cannot finish. Mm. And that's about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, whereas, yeah, if you were to actually bank on a team with good defensive ability, then you're like, you know, I'm going to buy a goalkeeper from Nottingham Forest, right, Turner, because, um, yeah, they're, they're just going to keep everything out. Or, you know, you pick someone like Edison against Newcastle and you're going to ask yourself the question, will City suffocate Newcastle so bad based on the evidence of the 5-1 thrashing against Aston Villa? <laughs> well, I would not say that. Yeah, things are in city's favor right now. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so apart from all of that, thoughts on the Arsenal game in general? Convincing enough, or uh, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot. I think the question comes down to whether, like as you said, right? You know, if if they decide to play someone else at left back, right? Yeah. They some they have someone replicate the Granit Zaka role, and um, things change. Um, it has cascading effects further downfield. Mm. Uh, for me. It's more about these things called trigger runs. Mm. The thing about Arsenal right now is that uh, unlike previous seasons where, you know, their attacks on the left are like completely different from the way they attack down the right side. <laughs> right now, it's more of like um, somebody holds the ball and then immediately there's a first trigger run by Martinelli that draws a certain player out. And then, you know, in response to that, there will be a second trigger run by Enketia, a third trigger run mm. by Kai Havertz, a fourth trigger run by the fullback. It's, it happens in waves. Mm. So... Arsenal like to have their the possession in particular areas of the pitch, and then you have those runs trigger, trigger, mm. trigger, 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 trigger. Um, so the question comes down to whether you can predict these triggers because right now I I do feel that um they're reliant on Bukayo Saka's individual ability so much mm. that like you would notice right that with Arsenal, no matter how beautiful the runs are, they very rarely actually get big chances from open play. Mm-hmm. They actually. You know, they, they follow it up, they get a corner, and it's exactly like last season. You know, Arsenal don't hit you on the first attempt. They get corners, they get rebounds, and, you know, they're, they're really underrated on, like, the second phase of corners and set pieces there. And, and you know, you see the same kind of pedigree with um, Newcastle and City. You know, teams that qualify for Europe, they are really, really good at the second phase of set pieces, and that's just hard to evaluate. That's, that's really what I like about Arsenal. So, mm. you just pick the guy... That's on fire right now. Saka, mm. Martinelli, full stop. Keep yeah. it simple. All right, fair enough. There we go. Uh, all right, let's move on to the Brighton game. Uh, S2.9 owners must be feeling hard done by, by the amount of ch- chances that he created. Apart from him, uh, Mitoma, March, and even Pedro got points from this game. Uh, Pedro had a really good chance in front of goal as well that he should have probably scored. Um, and also, just to add on this, Brighton created the most amount of XG as well out of all the teams so far but then again they're playing a team that just got promoted as well so that's a different um 
I guess that's a factor also to consider. But like, what were your general key takeaways? Well, I think we need to uh, talk about you know how incisive each player is from Brighton mm. because there were so many players that got returns, right? Mm. Both wingers, J JP Purvis, um, Gross even had potentially huge chances. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm saving the huge stat for FPL IQ. Yeah. So right now. Uh, the first question you need to ask, you know, we all need to ask ourselves and reflect on is, did Brighton's output come purely from their attacking prowess, or did we feel that it came down to Luton's naivety? Because there was a key tactical decision that Luton had, and Brighton absolutely punished it. Mm. It was down that right flank where Tahiti Chong basically almost refused to help Kabore out. Mm. So there was always this constant 2v1 situation where Kabore had to decide on whether to mark Mitoma or Estupinian. And obviously you mark Mitoma, right? So, I mean, to be fair, he tried to do both. Mm. And he did work with his outside centre-back quite well. But still, you know, it, it just remains to be seen whether Luton will choose to switch up their identity and play even more defensive, mm. not take any risks, or will they shut up shop? I mean, still, I think what Luton do next game week really just puts to a plate that we can target their right side. And Luton, after the blank, will be up against the likes of Chilwell, Ben Rama slash Emerson Palmieri, as well as uh, William and Robinson on the left side. So, yeah, just take your pick. Now, as for Brighton, <laughs> you've got to decide, right? Yeah. Between the players that make the good runs, yes. the players that are absolutely stellar at what they do, and the players that, well, are there. They're just there in the right place at the right time. Mm. So, uh, for myself, because I'm an eye test guy, you know, hashtag grassfc, <laughs> I absolutely love uh, movement. Yes, I love watching good incisive movement, such as Sandro Tonali's that, you know, you just appear out of nowhere, right? And you, you get into those good positions. So, Joao Pedro, for me, is really doing all these wonderful things off the ball. Because even when you have those double-ups, that I mentioned earlier, you still need Joao Pedro actually going into the half space in the six-yard box, ready mm. to take shots. Mm. You still need Joao Pedro to be in the middle of the six-yard box when Pascal Gross makes it to the half space and cuts back. You still need to be there. Because Danny Welbeck surely isn't. I mean, mm. he did a little bit for the opening stages, but Welbeck's not a far post merchant. Welbeck is actually the kind that waits for an entire line to rush forward and then he just stands there and he waits for the cutback. Mm. And that was, you know, how he got his early chance that had like 0.18 XG but he, like, scuffed his shot against the post or something like that. Um, so, yeah, in terms of incisiveness, Joao Pedro, yep. Purvis as 2pm, yep. Pascal Gross, top three. Ooh, interesting. Then, then you are reliant on players who do their job and do it well. Yep. Mitoma and Match. Yep. Because Mitoma, if you notice, did not beat any of his men. Mitoma did not beat his men. Unlike last season where he used his burst of pace to actually mm. go past players, mm. Mitoma did not beat his man. He just needs a five-yard room. He just engineers five yards. Cut and cross, cut and cross, mm. cut and cross. If not, he will use his fullback, cut on the outside, cross, in-swinger. Easy. <laughs> so, you know, I, I prefer that because rather than expecting to be beaten, if he doesn't, if Mitoma doesn't challenge you and he's going to beat you from outside and cross for someone else, that's even more dangerous, you know? Mm. It's like the equivalent of, like, yeah, you see this short guy outside of a basketball court, right? And he's going to shoot threes. But you, you know that if you go out, he'll beat you. Yeah. So you just have to let him shoot. Yeah. And he just, yeah, scores on you all the time. Yeah, so that's, that's in terms of ability. Mm. Fair enough. Uh, it's that that kind of goes back to then Pedro, like, being at the right place at the right time makes him such a good offer asset, especially at like the price he's at as well. Really good option. Um, all right, now moving further forward, Newcastle 5 1. Uh, I for one did not see this coming. Stimulus Highline got exploited so much. Nine big chances for new from Newcastle in this game. Uh, where do we even start with this game and what are your thoughts on it? Well, I think we have to admit that there are two things that are different. The left wing, obviously, mm -hmm. are actually filled by wingers. But, you know, I think we don't have to comment too much on it because we'll need to let the Anthony Gordon slash Harvey Barnes situation yeah. sort yeah. itself out. Mm. Uh, because they operate in such similar ways, right? Right-footed um, acceleration merchants that can shoot themselves. So, 
yeah, let, let them sort that out. But more important for me is Sandro Tonali because the conversation really revolves around him being that third central midfielder alongside Bruno Guimaraes and what's his face? Uh, I can't remember right now. But yeah, Bruno Guimaraes, uh, Tonali, and yeah. a third guy. Um, last game guy. it was Joe. Well, you know, in theory, it should be Joe Willock. Yeah. But it was Joe Linton that started this round. Mm. But really what made it interesting for me is that Tonali, right? Like, you look at the way he displays his best attributes within the game. And, you know, number one, he has absolutely class passing. Like, I cannot understate enough how important that first Isak goal was. Because of that set piece, right? He did not deliver it from a dead ball. I have to emphasize, he did not deliver it from a dead ball. It was rolled from central to right. This is Tonali, So right? that, yes. Yeah. So Tonali wasn't the one taking the free kick, but it was rolled to Tonali to create that diagonal angle for him to find Botman. So that Botman could just square it for Isak. Mm. See, that is a completely different play because when you are in a line of defense, right? And you're looking at a free kick taker in a central position, you know that the ball is coming, you're facing the ball, and that's fine. But the moment the ball goes further out wide, you lose your marker. Because you have to decide between pushing out to the further, to the guy out wide, or you stick with your man and stay deep. And that was how Tonali basically got that angle, you know, to go past everybody. Because I'm sure you know, you play football, right? If you cross from a central angle, it's mm. literally impossible mm. to put it past a guy unless you like a fantastic David Beckham, yeah. like, chip merchant, yeah. right? But if you shift that angle out wide, you play outswingers, yeah. and it looks so easy. Mm. It looks so easy. Like, Bodman didn't even have to control it, right? He just stuck his foot out, and he just waited for the ball to land on his foot. And it just nicely fell for Isak. Mm. The second thing about Tonali that I, I feel is absolutely weird, again, right, comes down to us in our playing days. Have you ever played against that one guy who somehow can dribble past people, not because he's good, but because he has legs that are so long that he just whole pokes it past everybody. Did you notice that Sandro Tonali's runs are not because that they are incisive? It, like, the goal that he scored was not necessarily from a good position. When the cross came in, he was still in line with Bubaka Kamara. Yes, he managed to he get there. He was still in line. He was yes. still marked. But he got there. He yes. got there between the two centre-backs because his legs are so long. That's and true. he just needs, like, four strides four strides from the penalty area between the centre-backs. Mm. Suddenly he's there. And he just stretches his leg out. Like it's, it's, I think it's because his torso is so small and that exaggerates how long his legs are. <laughs> it's hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. I, I think that's one of the underrated things about Tonali that makes him so special. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that yard of pace, that mm. two, three yards of pace that people will never be able to catch up on. But you can't read when he accelerates. He, yeah. He, this is... Uh, I think a lot of people might be sleeping on him because he... he was one of the best midfielders in the Serie A as well when coming to Newcastle. And I think a lot of people kind of didn't look at it because he didn't play too much in preseason and all of that. So kind of went under the rug. But yeah, really good option, to be honest. Um, Just got to wait and see. Mm, um, exactly. Yeah, because it's not, it's not a 90-minute thing. It's no. not an unfortunate thing. Yeah. yeah. It's not a 90-minute thing. Mm. Uh, and obviously, Isak looking good, um, as we kind of think. And then Wilson obviously coming off the bench as well, scoring as usual as well continues to add competition? I mean, what can you do, right? Mm. If you pick someone like Isak or Wilson, you're just going to need to accept the fact that, yeah, you either get 13 or you get 5. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, not, not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. All about opportunity cost. Like, Wilson was on the talking points of so many teams and players and content creators, but they were just fourth best. Mm. Harlan, JP, and Watkins. They were the top three. And it's not like Haaland, it's not like Watkins blanked. Yeah. If you picked Wilson over Watkins, it's like same thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, um now, Chelsea versus Liverpool. Now the first half were very attacking from both sides. The second half though saw Chelsea being more attacking than Liverpool after slight adjustment in their formation, or at least I think it was a slight adjustment. We'll get to that anyways. Uh which also helped in keeping Liverpool and Salah a bit more quiet. Uh, Chubel and Jackson looked amazing in the game and should be, I think, at least really good options going forward. And then I thought as a Salah owner that he did really well in the first half. What did you think? I think Salah always does well, mm. like at his job, regardless of where you put him. Yeah. Um, for me, it's more about the 
everyone else. Mm. Like, when Salah has the ball, you've got to ask yourself, what are you going to do to enable him, right? And for Liverpool, um, I do find that the players around him are still trying to figure out how to enable Salah. Whereas Salah himself is trying to go, I'm trying to enable you so that I look less of a threat, so that I can score goals. You know, there's this whole cat and mouse thing. And you can see that, you know, across certain courses of the game, right? Salah plays with joy. I think that's one of the things that we underrate about him. That he you know, doesn't go like, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. Like, he doesn't do that. Hmm. He just gets into positions. He tries to play people in. If he shoots, he just does that, oh, thing, right? But if he tries to play, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, no, no, that, 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 yeah. we, we know that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, if, if he plays somebody else in, he'll be like, yeah, you saw that, you yeah. saw that. See, I knew you saw that. Yeah, yeah. When you see that joy coming out of that caliber of player, you know that he's actually there to su- supply somebody else. Of mm. course, he's still trying to go for top score and all yeah. that, but like his priorities have shifted with maturity. Yes. And you can see it in his face, right? When he set up the goal for uh, Luis Diaz, yeah. yep. he celebrated that assist much more than when he got the disallowed goal mm. for the offside. You can see it. You mm. can see it. And I think in that sense, Salah knows that he's he wants to actually play a facilitator role for the likes of Sobos Lai on the right half space and whoever. Um... And it just comes down to who's willing to work with Salah. Because mm. even as far back as last season when we Liverpool were having their bad spell, Salah still created a lot of good chances from the right flank, even mm. though he was pushed really out wide. He was making good decisions. He could either accelerate down to the byline and cut back, or he could just put in fantastic uh, in-swing crosses for Nunes. Mm. So um, it just comes down to how it's done. Because Salah has such a huge array of... Uh, skill sets in terms of passing, shooting, accelerating. Yeah, it's just a matter of who uses that. You know? Uh for me the best pers- the, the person in the best position is still Sobos Lion in the right half space. Yeah. Because no one else ventures into that room. Yeah. I'm kinda glad that Trent isn't the one bombing up the right central midfield. Mm. Nor is he going outside of Salah. So mm. really that space now is kind of the thing where Liverpool, you know, play like pen the pig, right? <laughs> they surround their opponents around the edge of the area and yeah. they just try and make plays. I-, I miss that Liverpool because I think they have the right caliber of players now with McAllister and Sobo Salah, you know, the the right combination of Midfield. dial and dribble. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, it's it's time. Mm. I think the the what you call it, the DM position still is a concern, but that's probably for a defensive side in terms of like def- looking at clean sheet numbers and everything. Um, going forward though, still feel like Salah. You mentioned his attacking, like his creation has improved since last season. Um, now obviously that also I think depends on who's playing with him in that forward line. Um, when you have like a Gakpo, a Jota, a Diaz. I guess they are slightly different to compare to a Darwin Nunes in terms of their position, average position as well, and how involved they get in the play as well. Yeah, I mean, completely agree there. So really, we have to take this day by day. Mm. And I think at least for FPL in terms of um, looking at Liverpool, right? you're not looking for the guy who's the furthest for. You're not looking for the one guy who hogs all the chances. Mm. You're looking at how Liverpool can potentially shift tactics within mm. the 90 minutes mm. and you want to pick the guy that will benefit regardless of how Liverpool shift their tactics mm. because that is what Klopp is attempting right now I do feel that he splits the game in the 30 minute phases mm. so first yeah, minute 1 and minute 30 he plays a certain way minute 30 to minute 45 he plays a certain way 45 to 75 he plays a certain way and then 75 to 90 he relies on chaos so uh, yeah just, just keep a lookout for that because yeah. I do feel that this new version of periodization is something that um, top-tier managers aim to do over the next decade or so. Mm. To shift tactics within game across 30-minute periods instead of 45-45. Mm. What do you think? Okay, so that's Liverpool. What do you think about Chelsea? I think Chelsea did very well to you know morph their 3-5-2 into a 4-3-3 just so that they could handle Salah. Mm. Yeah. So, so, you know, their back three shifted over and you notice that Chilwell barely defended. And that's great. Mm. I mean, for me, the spotlight should still fall on Chilwell because this is an FL show. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, like, okay, so like, okay, think, so right, I want to ask you, right, what yes. is your first ever memory of Ben Chilwell actually being an attacking threat? Do you recall your first moment where you fell in love with Ben Chilwell? Huh. As a Chelsea player, sorry, not as, as a Leicester Chelsea. player, as a Chelsea player. 
mostly when he like pops. At the very first, the very oh, first very, moment very first, you knew that Ben Chill will have potential. Oh, that's a long... I don't remember that. Okay, I'll tell okay. you my first. Yeah, okay? you go. So, um, Brentford just got promoted and they were on a hot streak. Yeah. They were about to play Chelsea. Okay? And and Chelsea were on the low. And they were still you know, using that whole two wing-backs thing under um, Thomas Tuchel. Mm. And so, it, it came to this stage where we all were like, uh, Brentford's white game against Chelsea's white game. Mm. And Brentford were winning huge. Brentford were pressing, they were using Ivan Tony, and, you know, they had all these central midfielders that crowded out uh, Chelsea in such a smart and savvy way. And it was like, I think Brentford were leading 1-0 or something like that. Mm. And then Ben Chilworth, right, did not pop up in the wide areas. Mm. He actually popped up centrally, yes. and he took this beautiful shot from range mm. into the top corner from the edge of the box. Mm. And everyone went, whoa. Ben Chilwell's not wide. Mm. Ben Chilwell can shoot as a defender. And what a left foot. Like, that was when he officially entered the stage before he got all these injury problems. Yeah. And that is what we want out of Ben Chilwell because that was the same Ben Chilwell that we saw get into central positions, sometimes waiting in the six-yard box. Like, you know, you, you look at his assist. It's not directly from a corner, right? It was a rebound of a corner yeah, in the second yeah. phase. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, right. He was the, like middle of the six yard line on the right half e- space. Even the goal that got offside is literally in the yeah. center. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you know, he's he's here. He's yeah. here. And yeah. and we, we won that kind of bench yeah, Chilwell. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Mm. So Chilwell really good. I think we kinda need to wait. Now obviously Chelsea seemed like the activity in Olysses release class as well. Uh, from the looks of it, so we'll have to see how that kind of impacts. And obviously now they signed Caicedo, Lavia. There's been talks about maybe Enzo Fernandez going a bit more forward or playing in a number eight role. He's already going forward. He's already really going yeah, forward. But now he has access to go even more forward and be a bit more of a free bird, I would say. Um, so, we'll, because they might over the because they have a really good run of fixtures coming up. So over the next few weeks, maybe we'll we'll learn a bit more in terms of Potter's system and like who could be really good FPL options as well. Yeah, of course. Uh, I think we definitely need to use the West Ham game as a barometer of mm. how they behave from 3-8 to eight, mm. rather than the Liverpool game. Because yeah. I do feel that these were one-off tactics yeah. that enabled Enzo Fernandez and Ben Chilwell. But if they don't do the same thing against West Ham, then it's all for moot. Yeah, and We need to have a separate discussion next yeah. week. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's start looking ahead to game week two. Let's start with the Spurs versus Manchester United game. Uh, we're wondering how Spurs were going to be without Kane and we're wondering how this would affect their attack. Madison looked really good in the attack, but the rest didn't seem up to par. Even then, they still had a lot of so- lot of shots at go- at goal. Uh, their defense though looked like it would continue to give up chances, and I'm not sure if Romero might not be available or not. I'm not sure whether it was a concussion injury or not that took him off. Uh, but then that's something to kind of wait and see. On the other hand, Manchester United didn't look anywhere near good enough, and was somewhat fortunate to come away with the three points against Wolves. How do we see this game going? And if you had United attackers like Bruno, would you keep him for this game or make a switch to even a Liverpool player or even like a Madison? That's the thing, right? People were expecting United to take advantage of a managerless Wolves side. I think um, Spurs, I think we have to admit that they are still suffering from the shock of Kane exiting at that particular day. Mm. I think if they kept kept Kane for two days more, they would have absolutely smashed Brentford. So, we need to ask ourselves, right, how, how will Spurs react? Where is their metal? Because I do find that James Madison as a leader and as a captain has huge potential to turn this thing around. Um, for me, it's more of whether Spurs can actually get their plan A going. Because yeah. I mentioned in a couple of other shows, right, their plan A just isn't firing at all. Yeah. Everything you saw in preseason did not show up. And, well, I wouldn't say that Man United will execute that sort of game plan I think it's more of like we have to accept that Man United still performs better as the underdog rather than the favourite Yes, I would we just agree. have to admit yeah. that yeah. and so yeah this this basically puts you know it, it puts Man United in a sort of cornered red position that you know well it depends right it comes down to whether you feel that United themselves will have hubris uh, because I don't recall Ten Hag coming out saying that you know we, we played bad but we were lucky to get the win full credit to Wolves they were just like, no. meh, we'll move on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I think this game might also suit United in one way. 
in terms of being able to counterattack as well if they wanted to, possibly. I mean, I'm not a fan of speculation mm. right now. I, I'm just more aware of the fact that United lack depth. Yeah, yeah, as definitely. much as we like to in say attack. that. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and because they lack so much depth, right, especially in the number nine position, there's mm. no one. I would rather swap Ganacho and Rashford's position and play Ganacho as a nine. Oh, so yeah. I would play Rashford with Sancho play on that left. false line. What? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Play Sancho there. Right. I mean, so we have to understand that Ten Hag is the boss. Yeah. But if the boss doesn't make his identity clear, like what Ferguson did yeah. in the Ferguson era, then there's no point. Mm-hmm. You know, if your fans and your followers are just as mystified as your opponents, yeah. there's nothing to cheer. Yeah. You see? And, and you know, like, yeah, it's still, they, they've not addressed the problem from last season. Does the 3-2 win against Arsenal pop up or does the 7-0 loss pop up? You don't know. Mm, yeah. You know, no matter how good of a side they put out. Still, yeah, I think that's that's one of yeah. the biggest fears about owning United. Yeah, and also the, like you mentioned, the depth in attack is still a problem. The, the I still feel like you know, they have an inability to score goals even though they post a decent XG number. Because Rashford is not a striker for me, at least. He doesn't... He prefers that left side of the spot. And I don't know, it's like... It's not convincing enough shots, at least for me, what they take. Um, they do create chances, but yeah. not finishing it. Yeah, of course. So, I mean... Again, right? Do you do you feel that United is a system, or do you feel like United is player based? Because right, right now, I do feel that they are system based, mm-hmm. but the system is not consistent. Yeah. And if your system is not consistent, then your players will suffer. Yeah. Whereas yeah. last season, because of you know the various flaws that the United squad had, um, they were they made their system tailored around Marcus Rashford, yeah. and it worked. Yeah. Mm. So I mean, so it's a big question mark. This Spurs United game, if you wanna. I do feel that, you know, I do, don't 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 go chasing waterfalls because the Liverpool Bournemouth game, right? As much as we love targeting it as a fixture in a vacuum, mm. uh, you know, I'm going to transition into Bournemouth a little bit because um, Iraola himself, right, did a fantastic job against West Ham, just limiting them to low quality shots. Mm. And I want to give credit to that because that is an underrated quality of Bournemouth that, mm. you know. It required a lot of guile. It put he put his most defensive player up front, and he put his most offensive player back into deep midfield. Philip Billing played deep midfield, mm. and Ryan Christie played up front. <laughs> so, I mean, you ask yourself, right? You're having a away game against Liverpool. You'd likely do the same thing again, and you'd likely put up the same resistance. Mm. And it's not that Liverpool, uh, Bournemouth players are mugs. So. I, I mean, you just, once again, ask yourself, right, if you're replacing a United player, who are you buying? You know, I, I'm still not convinced by Diaz or Jota because yeah. they're all reliant on Salah. Yeah. And Bournemouth did not display any real weaknesses, glaring weaknesses mm. against West Ham. That's my biggest issue. Mm. Fair enough. And also, there's like, your replacements, apart from maybe a Madison, let's say, everyone else is in that price packet, not certain for minutes. That's also another yeah. thing. All right. So now that we've gone to that Bournemouth game, let's talk about it. Um, so let's just, again, I guess we kind of answered that first question. In, if you went into game economy with no Liverpool player, would you look to get a Liverpool player in this game week or just hope the damage isn't really bad? Well, you only have one free transfer. Yeah, that's why. So it's a mandatory negative four. Ah. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean... Yeah, this comes down to how much you rate Salah against the rest of the competition. Because I do feel that right now, the most desirable five players to own in midfield, right, would be uh, this Martinelli Saka, perhaps Salah, mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, that's kind of about it. Oh, James Madison, of course. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever 6.5 you're holding on to, just hold on to him for dear life, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Brighton still has two good fixtures. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brentford are on fire and they come up against Fulham up next, right? And Burmo still out of position. Like, why worry? Why worry, right? So, um, yeah. So unless you're selling your United player to buy an Arsenal player, right? just leave it. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, or maybe downgrade to six and a half. Like, I feel like the only viable 
move that requires you to get Salah for negative four is that you go like Bruno and Rashford, right, in a half, whatever, to um, Salah and a six and a half. Because mm-hmm. Salah plus six and a half gives you needs about 19 million budget. Yep. And that's perfect for Bruno and Rashford. Yeah. Yeah. But... Mm, with like 0.5 margin. Mm, but is it worth it? It's a different story. Yeah, of yeah, course, of yeah, course. But yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, that's yeah, the yeah. only alternative. If not Salah, other Liverpool players, is it just too much of a risk? Like, not even, uh, I guess it's United players that most likely make way because of the performance, but... I don't know who's earned their spots among Liverpool yeah. players. Fair enough. Among our squads. I don't know who's earned it yet. Mm. Not yet. Mm. Yeah. Maybe Sobosalai. I, I love Sobosalai the bits. But FPS point of view... Yeah, no, no, it's almost a lie. Okay. Because I feel that, like, you know, you think about it, right? You, if, let's say, uh, Liverpool come up against a deep defence of Bournemouth, mm. like, who do you think makes the difference? Do you think it'll be Salah? Will it be somebody that falls down for a penalty? Will it be a free kick? Will it be somebody that beats multiple people? Mm. So, for me, it's actually, you know, about the most all-rounded guy that can beat multiple people, shoot from range, cross, and even win a penalty himself. Mm. I saw enough of Zobot's lie against Chelsea that warranted that. Skill set. Okay. Mm. All right, there we go. Very interesting pick there. Uh, all right, let's move on to Fulham versus Brentford. So, Mwema and Visa get on the score sheet against Spurs, and we didn't discuss it in the first half, but Everton had 19 shots against this Fulham team. This could be a really good game for Brentford owners in terms of attacking chances. What do you think? Only if Andreas Pereira is still unavailable. We mm-hmm. really, really have to keep tabs on his injury status. Because, I mean, you know, Mitrovic and Raul are plus minus the same thing. They make similar runs and they have similar attacking ability. Mm-hmm. But when Andreas was unavailable, they brought Tom Kenny in. And that gave Lukic way too much space to cover. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, yeah, you know, Brentford up next. The nice thing about Brentford is that they like Adokore. Mm-hmm. Um, they are. They play with two strikers instead of um, the Korea plus one. And uh, well, the bad news is that both Wisa and Brentford, uh, both Wisa and Bomo are on fire in terms of finishing. Yeah. Uh, however, there is speculation that they will roll out the four three three, which further amplifies the fact that they will not have a number ten. Mm. So, I mean, you know, you just ask yourself, right? Will Brentford take advantage of Fulham's soft right side mm. because you know that's that's an issue they've not sorted out at all. Or will they just bomb down the centre, take advantage of um, Pereira's injury and just knock it down the middle? I can't tell. I cannot tell. It's one of those things where you, if you buy a Brentford player, you hold him for like four or five games. Yeah. Don't just target the Fulham fixture alone. Yeah, they have good fixtures in general. All the a decent run. Yeah, I would agree. All right, um, let's keep moving. Uh, let's end with the City versus Newcastle game. Should be a good game to watch, but the question is how tight will this game be for a lot of managers who don't have Salah? And we'll probably be looking to captain Haaland in this game. What do you think? Why Joe Linton was picked for this particular game against Aston Villa. Mm. When New, sorry, when Villa had the ball down their right side, arguably their stronger side, right? Because it had Cash, it had Bailey as their dribbler, it had Diaby, you know. And yeah, they want to use their right side to create for their left, right? Um, Joe Linton was the one that manfully pressed up to many Cash all the way up like Gordon was actually tucked in field to mark the second centre back and yeah Joel Linton was the one that burst all the way forward from midfield and he forced all these dispossessions out of Aston Villa I think City against Newcastle is going to be fun because it's going to be high press against high press and when you have City's high press against Newcastle high press the beautiful thing about both sides is that they can somehow press high without conceding a high line yeah to not Aston Villa so uh, you know it's either going to be really scrappy you know, and it ends like 1-1 or 0-0. Or it's going to be like last time out where I think Palace... Oh, no, sorry. It was City Palace that ended 3 all, wasn't it? So this this City-Newcastle game, high press against high press, mm. is going to result in a lot of like one-off chances, right? Mm. Where long ball goes forward because of a high press and then you build an attack from there. So uh, you need to decide. Like, have an opinion on that first. Because, again... High press against high press is either going to end 0-0 or it's going to end 3 all. You're going to pick one. You're going to pick one. And I just feel that based on the execution of their respective presses, I feel that it's going to end 0-0. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. And that's kind of why I'm more willing to captain Salah than Haaland. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. All yeah. right. So that kind of answers the captaincy question that I had as well. Um, I, I, I think it's going to be a very tight game between... Newcastle and City 
and obviously there's people brought up this idea of like oh the last time everyone went for captain of sala against haland and it didn't pay off but then that was a poor united team against this newcastle team i think it's bit way better than that united team i think this could be a really good and really tight game i'm expecting so sala yeah, is I know, right? best, probably the best option at the moment uh, i think the, okay, it's like this. When you pick when you pick captaincy, right? You need to visualize the kind of goal or the kind of contribution that they'll have, mm. because that is more important than anything. You you want to pick a captain knowing that he will likely do that thing that you imagine him doing, not mm. because he's the best, not because he's you know Salah Haaland. You know we had this exact same debate with like um Haaland versus Kane last season. Mm. It's the same thing. So you ask yourself, right? I pick Haaland because I know that Haaland is going to go on the break and score a brace against Wolves. I'm going to pick Kane because I know Kane has this dribbling ability that works very well against deep defences. I know that Haaland's going to be struggling against a deep block. Like, you need to have an anchor yeah. so that you live and die on that hill hmm. every week. And for me, Salah's just in the best position to profit. I'm not going to reveal what it is, but yeah, I do feel that Salah's the better captaincy compared to Haaland, at least in terms of what I'm imagining in my head. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, before we end, there was one question uh, that we got from James from the online on Twitter, and he said, "What to do with Gabriel? Keep or sell? Possibly price drop if we got zero in the bank." Uh, well, he hasn't fallen in price, which is good so far, at least. Um, and I guess we kind of answered it as well at the start with the Arsenal section. Uh, so I still like Rico Henry. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 I'm, I'm gonna push Rico Henry, Rico Henry, Rico Henry. I yeah, think that, that's he, worth it. He's probably the best option you can get under five million at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If not Tommy Azo, you know, if you're that scared. Yeah, true. not only Arsenal. Yeah. yeah, but I think it's still better than like I would rather go Rico Henry because the mm. the minutes are safer. Tommy Azo yeah. is not as attacking as Rico Henry as well. Mm-hmm. All, right. All right, cool. So that's it. Thank you for your time today. Do you have anything to plug? Well. I'm not a walking gambling ad, but I do, uh, I do acknowledge that you know all of this is fun, and you know to come on your show and to write my daily threads. I plan to write daily things, uh, online now. That's kind of like my pledge to the community, to the FPL community. And uh, I do have a coffee page. I think I would admit that I made a mistake opening a subscription-based page last season, and I would like to say that um, if anyone appreciates the work out there. Like, anything that you send my way will be happily given to my kids for their swimming lessons and their education and their pre-K. Really, it's it's all for them. Mm. That's why I do this. Nice. So thank you so much for having me, Ryan. Thank you. Uh, and you can find me also on YouTube and also we'll be doing an FPL IQ stream uh, with you, Lucin, uh, tomorrow on Thursday as well. So make sure to catch us for that as well. And then obviously, you can join me on the deadline stream on youtube.com slash footballchatbox. That's it. That's it for this week's Cut the Game Week. Uh, we'll be back after Game Week 2 and looking ahead to Game Week 3. Green Arrows all.